Okay, I've just put some fresh batteries in, so it should be <laughs> good for action all night long. Oh, my God. Never was there a more pathetic remark made by a woman holding a, a cup of chamomile tea. I meant with our podcast. What do you think I meant? Yes, I, I don't. Yes, quite. Exactly. We've got some lovely chamomile tea we here do. sitting here after. Chamomile. Uh, I say chamomile. Let's call the whole thing off. Uh, sitting here after an episode of 7.30 and, um, yeah, feeling pretty tired. So Yeah, and I've can... come around like, hey, <laughs> you're at the end of a 12-hour working day. Fancy some company? <laughs> Talk some crap what time with is someone. it, by the way? Oh, it's 10 to 9. It's 10 That's to 9. Thing. You've got 10 minutes. <laughs> Shortest They're episode ever. 10 minutes you'll never forget. Um, just... Siri, set a timer for 10 minutes. <laughs> I feel I feel a real attack of unstoppability coming on. And another thing, no, no, I know sales, but the thing is, I'd like to make five points about the recovery. Gonna make them good and slow. Yes. Um, Now we we did have every good intention. We did a live show in Sydney the other week. Uh, It's the curse. Yeah. There is a curse. Yeah, no, there is just... actually a geographical curse. It really only seems to apply to the Sydney broader area. <laughs> but the curse is whenever we do an event in Sydney uh, for this podcast, there is something that goes wrong with the recording and it is lost to history. Yep. And so that one's been lost, I'm afraid. Mm. So you're going to have Mind to tolerate you, the most one. exciting thing or the most memorable thing was you bullying me into dressing up as Brian May. Uh, <laughs> and everyone's seen the photos of that. So exactly. You don't need to hear the audio. Those and your little face was, was the happiest I've ever seen. And in fact, <sighs> the funny thing is that, you know, Here's what happened, people, um, those who missed it, and let's face it, you'll never hear it because we buggered up the sound recording. Um, sales, um, a couple of months ago, had the idea of finally forcing me to make all of her fantasies into reality <laughs> um, and dress up as Brian May to her Freddie Mercury. This is a funny joke because my hair is stupid and curly and sort of crazy. So this is amusing. And um, her fantasy was that we should reenact the um, I want to break free film clip. Uh, so um, once I – look, I agreed because you were having a tough day and you sounded sad, so I agreed. And then – Gotta say, you spent the next, I don't know, however many months, like excitedly oh. ringing me with details, finding a waistcoat for me to wear. <laughs> you went to Sexyland in Melbourne and bought some suspenders. I mean, really. Oh, that's the only thing that bears repeating probably from the yeah, show because I shared about my visit to Sexyland. Yes. Which, if you've ever been driving from Melbourne City to Melbourne Airport, it's on your left. Um, it's actually like Bunnings. <laughs> you go in, it's well lit, it's not sleazy at all. Is there a... Sausage sizzle out the front. I guess that would be a bit too literal, wouldn't it? <laughs> Hot sausage at Sexland. Mm. <laughs> Putting the sizzle Must back mean. into sausage sizzle. Um, it's like Bunnings. The people inside, uh, there were women, were wearing uniforms. They were wearing polo shirts with sexy land on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got to the front to pay, she said, have you got a loyalty card? Right. To which I said, I've got a cheating card. That's why I'm here, baby. (laughs) Um, Anyway, that you, I got a. Did you just get the suspenders or did you snap up something else? I snapped up a whole lot of gear. (laughs) Not for anyone listening, wondering if that's true. No. I was in there in and out in about one minute, 30 seconds. That's what she said. Carry on for the no, whole it's time. No, it's not. It's not going to be very far, far from here on in. Okay, I just like <laughs> I'm just going. Look, I've been on a bit of a jag 
uh, I think this is Gwen's fault um, of saying that's what she said every time somebody oh, yeah. kind of does a double entendre She's or something. She's filthy, yeah. filthy mind and filthy yeah, mouth. That's that girl, true. So. Yeah. Um, no, from the second that you agreed to do it, I certainly did get a lot of pleasure on the night at two two points. One was seeing Danielle, who was doing your makeup, when she did the reveal of your hair, which the thing that stunned me because I'd sort of thought, oh, look, she'll get it Brian May-ish, but you don't have the same haircut as Brian May. So I thought she's not going to Oh, I did after Danielle finished with me. <laughs> you did. She got the sort of squareness of the Brian May yeah, She really did, She yeah. absolutely nailed it. Um, and so that was just so – I was so happy. And then also I just knew that the audience reaction when you came out was going to be absolutely hilarious. And for anyone who wasn't there – um, we'd worked it so I was going to be just having the time of my life vacuuming like Freddie and Crab was going to walk out looking There's just so much filthy. Practicing. She'd no done acting so required. much practicing of the mincing and the hand flapping and the vintage Hoover pushing, the hair tossing. And then let me say that before the show, uh, sales was unbearable, just the worst kind of prima donna. At one point, the lighting rig had to be lowered so that the spot could be more to sales and satisfaction. Uh, That's all I'm going to say. And what I've got to say to you about that is you're welcome because it meant when you came out, you had your beautiful little spotlight to stand in and everyone absolutely cacked themselves um, Actually, at you. you said, it I want it to great. be like a warm pool of light. You <laughs> said, a warm pool of light, not a spotlight. I want it to be a warm pool of light that we can each walk into. Oh, my God. You should have seen the looks that, like, everyone was giving you. <laughs> they appreciated having a professional there who knew what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um no, so that was like just absolutely the pleasure that I got also just anticipating in the yeah. months leading up to it what that was going to be mm-hmm. like. It was just it was I love how you so even forced your children to get excited about this concept. Oh. So like both of your boys had to be they were yeah, yeah. they they were wanting like, you know, text updates the whole yeah. evening yeah. um which I happily delivered. So no, that was very fun. Okay. Um, so there you go. That's yeah. pretty much all you missed. <laughs> but there is a recording of something we did. If you missed the Sydney Chat Ten show, there is a recording actually of something we did at the Sydney Writers Festival. Yes, which was, that has gone up. Yes. And it's a very hilarious the concept was hilarious, which was it was a panel of four people, me, Crab, Benjamin Law and Michael Williams from the Wheeler Centre. And we each had to bring along three books and say that we had read all three but we had to be lying about about one one. of them the session was called two truths and a lie so you had to go on and on about these three books that you absolutely loved and just ensure that one of them you actually had never read and were (laughs) lying about now I don't think we should give away anything no partly because not giving away anything prolongs the intense national shame that I will endure as a result (laughs) of the revelation of what I haven't read Um, you know also two separate people have stopped me today to say (laughs) I just listened to that podcast where you guys are lying and I was just you know apoplectic with laughter um that's not really the right word that goes with laughter, is it? Yeah, sure. It? You could be apoplectic with laughter. Really? But Ra- it? It's more of a rage thing. Yeah, it's but, a rage thing, isn't it? Well, I guess it just means because um, apoplexy is oh, actually right. Is apoplexy a fit of rage or is it just a fevered state? If only I had a device which allowed me to instantly look up the meaning of that word while yeah. I find it. I think um, actually, yeah, it might be. A, it's a sort of like a fit where you get really red in the face, but I don't know if the meaning is really restricted to rage or... Now, um, <laughs> without giving away which of your books you were lying about... Mm. Um, your face oh. was so good. Well, do you know what? So you there was... 
of your three books, I was certain. Hang on, how do you spell apoplectic? A P O P. Yeah. Apoplexy, I'll look up yeah. and then we'll see L-A-X-Y. what that says. Um, apoplexy, extreme anger. Oh, um, okay then. Or unconscious or incapacity, unconsciousness or incapacity resulting from a cerebral hemorrhage or stroke. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, it, means it has to be angry, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, you're welcome, listeners. Hysterical with laughter. Um, hysterical with laughter. Of your three books, I was absolutely certain that you had read two. I was absolutely certain in my head that you had read two. And then the third one, I I was so sort of shocked that – and I could not believe that you couldn't have read it. And so that caused my brain to go into like a sort of car crash where I then started doubting yeah. my certainty. It's almost like I – planned the whole thing to freak you out, isn't it, mate? <laughs> I, wish, I, I wish I could see what my face looked like because I think like it wouldn't have even been amused when you when you pulled out the it book. It wasn't. It was brilliant. It's actually one of my favourite memories of the last year. Because <laughs> it, it must have been. I think that you gave it away a bit actually. Well, then I started getting hysterical because yeah. I was just, yeah, I probably did give it away a bit. But um, I think my face would have been like complete shock, disbelief, confusion, and then just like ticking over cogs, going back through my memories, trying to think, okay, well, hang on, I must be, I must be wrong about. And Something it was else. such a absolutely massive <laughs> mind, you know what? And also, it reminds me of a podcast that I've just listened to. Unless you want to say anything else about that session? No, um, best left unsaid, I say, but <laughs> it's definitely worth a listen. Um, you know, contrary to what you might understand after listening to our recollection of it, there were other people there as well and they were very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but you can fast Particularly forward through them Michael if you need. Williams, Michael Williams, who had the brilliant, brilliant idea of listing as his three books, one book by you, one book by me and one book by Ben. That was such a <laughs> great idea. Thereby making it absolutely certain that one of us was going to end the session cruelly humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a brilliant stroke of genius. Mm. The experience and the emotions I went through on a tiny scale caused by you uh, reminded me of there's a book that's just come out called Fake by Stephanie Wood. Oh, my God. So I read that. (gasps) Yeah. Oh, my God. I I didn't know you read it. I read it as soon as I got it. Yeah. Oh, because Okay. So this is Stephanie Wood's book, right? And I remember back – no, okay, I mean, okay. I think I may have met her, um, but I don't, I don't know her um, apart from I think I might have met her. Apart from I, shared a flat with her for three years oh, in the early nineties. Come on, I worked at the Herald, so like I probably have met her. But um, and I, I sort of, you know, when you've read someone's work, you sort of think that you know them. So I don't know. Anyway, okay. God, I'm sorry, Stephanie. Did I go to your house lunch last weekend for lunch? If so, I'm terribly sorry. Um, however. <laughs> Um, also, because I've now read so much about her, I actually feel like I know her really well. So it's <laughs> right. just I, my yeah, there's zero right. boundaries. Um, but remember, because she had that um, she had that magazine article in Good Weekend yes. about you know her um, exploration of her boyfriend that seemed a bit good, too good to be true, and then just seemed a bit like, hmm, are you who you say you are? So to give the people previously on Stephanie Wood, she. Met a guy, I think it was via online, it was Tinder or something, wasn't it? Some Correct, online dating yeah. thing. They go out on a few dates. He seems really lovely. He's an architect who's gone into sheep farming. Um, he seems really good fun. They hit it off. They go away for a weekend together and she's like blissfully, blissfully in love. And then just there's a few things that 
sort of set off a few alarm bells, like he cancels a lot. She never gets invited to his place. Um, there's some of the excuses he gives when he cancels seem a bit weird. And so she My starts – My dog's sick. The dog's sick a lot. The dog's um, sick. She starts – but she keeps – she sort of raises it with a few people and they're like, look, just don't overthink it. Stop overthinking. Don't be anxious about it. It's fine, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so she sort of goes along with it even though this constant roller coaster of him um, – you know, sort of not showing up to things he's going to show up to and so forth. It just drives her completely batty. And then at the end, they're supposed to go to a friend's wedding and he sits with her and books, you know, books his ticket. And then the day before he's, oh, my dog's sick and all my kids are this or whatever. I'll see you at the airport. See you at the airport. I'm on the way. I'm on the way right now. And then he never shows up. She goes. And that's the thing that actually causes her to properly end the relationship. Well, then she sort of starts (laughs) properly investigating like a journalist, like, well, who is this dude? Yeah. And starts, you know seriously trying to work out who this guy is and it's just and he's just he's a he's a bounder who's got another partner and he's just been sort of lying to her and what what total scammer gas total totally gaslighting her um hasn't stolen any money or anything it's just sort of some sort of psychological game or something or just i don't know the book is brilliant um so so okay so i've so she wrote this article for Good Weekend. She's yeah. then got a book deal out of it and then she's done as part of the book tour an episode of Conversations with Richard Father, which is what I've listened to. Oh, right. Have you not read the book yet? No, I've not read the book. Oh, God, how bizarre. Okay, so I've got tons of questions. I, yeah, okay. No, all right. That I'm I hoping stand get ready. answered. So, I actually um, read it ages ago and I keep I keep forgetting to mention it. Oh, okay. You might not remember everything oh, I want to know. I then. probably will. So um, why do humans um, – it's very easy when you're outside one of these relationships, if you have a friend who's in one of them yep. or, or even when you read Stephanie Wood's thing, yep. when you're outside it, it's easier to go, are you kidding me? That's not normal behaviour. Yeah. That, that is weird. Yep. Don't accept that. that. That's, you know, why when you're the person in it, is it, what, what is it that goes on in your psychology that makes you? Well, I think when you're in this sort of, um, uh, what is the what is the terms that lim- limerence. limerence? If yeah. you're in that limerent stage, then you give everything the benefit of the doubt. And you know, for her, I mean, the, the only thing that she really didn't have a reservation about was his warmth and lovingness to her. I mean, he wasn't kind of awful to her or violent or you know aggressive mm. or anything like that. It was just this sort of weird well, where does he go sort of thing. And I think, look, from the early parts of the relationship, she's kind of like, well, look, this is pretty cool. He's got his own life and Mm. she loved this idea of, you know, him having this farm and, you know, he'd send her pictures of his ute stuck in the mud or his dog, you know, sitting on a cliff or whatever. And so there was this incredibly convincing tale of, uh, rural life that could be quite demanding and so mm. suddenly you you wouldn't be able to be come into town for a couple of weeks because you were drenching your sheep or, or whatever mm-hmm. so I think that she um, wanted this idyllic future to be true because he kept sort of saying well look, we're going to buy this property and you can write books and you know we'll build this house and all of that and also I mean there were sort of elements that sort of checked out like he talked about how you know it split up from his wife and he had two kids she met the kids right Mm. and um that they'd had this 
harborside home that he was no longer living in. And, yeah, that address was still on his driver's licence when she looked. So, like, and also, I mean, she she also, um, it's interesting how people's backstories kind of give some sort of weird, actually, when you examine it, like quite a snobby kind of um, uh, assurance, you know, like she was reassured by the fact that his ancestor had been quite a, like a rich dude you know and you know she was saw the address so knew that he'd lived in this sort of swanky house and so that had kind of helped to tie together all of these other like quite loose claims that he was making right um but like the thing about the book and that I actually really liked that I didn't get from the original feature article was after the penny had dropped because I mean in the feature article as I recall it was all about her discovery of you know um, who he really was and how things went wrong, you know. But after that, she discovers, you know, that that he was the whole time seeing this other woman, mm. I mean, at least one, I think, and they were having the same experiences as her, mm. you know, like, oh, got sent the same picture of the youth mm. stuck in the mud, which turned out to have been downloaded off an internet photo, you know, it was somebody <sighs> else's ute and somebody else's farm. and But... um. He, um, but she, and this is the great and fascinating thing about the book, is she then meets and gets to be on quite good terms with these other women. And that is actually this incredible redemption at the end of the book. And their relationship actually ends up getting past the suspicion and anger or whatever, jealousy or whatever. And in the end, they kind of become quite good mates you know mm. and that's a really um i don't know it's a, it's it's um it's a great part of the book that wasn't in the original article the other thing i wondered at the end of the podcast was is she still in love with him no i would say not from what i can gather from the conclusion of the book but i mean because you can't is, just – like that, no, you that can't. catfishing and, case in Melbourne. Yeah, you can't – Using Lincoln Lewis yeah. and that poor girl died. Because you can't just – and also um, who's the singer? Um, Casey – I forget. Chambers? No, no, not Casey Chambers. I'm oh, yeah, God, Donovan. Mm. Casey Donovan yeah, yeah. Um, has talked about it as well. And Yeah, well, she got catfished by this woman, didn't she? Yeah. Who was her friend, you know. Yeah, and you can't um, just automatically like stop sort of – your, the way you feel, right? Just because you discover it's false, and it feels like a breakup with a real person when actually yeah. the person you're grieving is not someone who ever existed. Yeah, it's just the thing, the things that you built around that person in your mind are now gone for good. And the thing too that is, I think, extraordinarily difficult about these situations is, and I think Stephanie Wood made this really clear. Basically, you become traumatized because it's yeah. a form of abuse. Yeah. Um, and, and you've invested so much in it being true so that you kind of. That's right. And to actually. Deliberately avoid or talk down every piece of evidence that appears to suggest that it might not be true. And you, you might, in some cases, um, the person might withdraw or might force you to confront it. But if you yourself. Um, take the power to sort of um, upend it as Stephanie Wood ultimately did herself in the end, um, it forces you to ask you some really, really difficult questions of yourself, which is firstly, 
am I stupid? Why did I go along with this? What's wrong with me? Why did I accept this for myself when the signs were clearly there and I chose to, for whatever reason, ignore them? Yeah. Um, So it just – and also makes you ask questions about other people and how other people behave and can you trust people? And I think it just – it sets you up for such a catastrophic um, mental breakdown and emotional breakdown to have to actually go through all of that at the other end of it. Yeah. I um, Did you listen to that Who the Hell is Hamish podcast? No. This is, like, picks up on all of these themes and I just saw that he was convicted the other day. Right. And all of the women who are interviewed, I mean, some of whom are just like there's this family um, of a woman that he was married to, I think, and – her um, son and her son's girlfriend and Hamish had an affair with the son's girlfriend and the woman and her son and her girlfriend all in the end talked to Greg Bearup who is the um, presenter of that podcast and they are three of the greatest interviews. They're just full of grace. Um, They're already cool and very, I don't know, they really can talk about what happened to them um, in an absence of um, real anger at each other and in a way that has really come to terms with what this guy did to them. Mm. And when he was convicted the other day, um, a bunch of the predominantly women that he had defrauded were all in court Mm. and it was so interesting just to think of those people's relationships to each other and how much they'd all suffered at the hands of this Total. Um, One of the things I find weird is job. what about when there's not money involved? Like in the right, case of yeah. Stephanie Wood, yeah. he he didn't take any money. He wasn't fleecing her for cash or for anything, really. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very strange. Okay, I'm going to get through this as fast as possible because I don't want to take us over the 30 minutes. If you like chat10looks3.com, you can visit our website. Um, there are links. Give the address to sales. Give the address. Chat10looks3.com, that's what I just said. Oh, Everything we talk about, there's links to all of it right there. There's a thing that called Bedside Table you can click on. It's an online bookstore. You can buy the books that we talk about. Uh, sometimes there's merch for sale on there. Sometimes there's details about live shows that we're doing. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. And if you see Annabelle Crab in the streets, make sure you walk up and say hello and ask her. <laughs> to open your local school fate. And I will give them your home address. You're welcome. Just while we're on relationship stuff, um, I read something as well this week. I think it was in The Guardian. It was a piece by the Australian actor Ben Mendelsohn's ex-wife, um, whose name now escapes me, sorry. Right. Um, check the show notes if you need to find out. Because um, <laughs> sales will have Googled it again. But then. <laughs> um, uh, about the demise, I guess, of their – well, the sort of end days of their marriage and their marriage falling apart. It's a really – it's an interesting piece of writing and, uh, I mean, I was pretty glued to it. But I didn't share it on social media or anything because I just thought, I don't know, what are the what are the, the ethics of doing that when the person that you're writing about is really famous? Okay, so I haven't read the piece, so is it fairly Well, it's not um it's not awful at all about Ben Mendelssohn. It's it's just like I guess any sort of relationship breakdown, but um it's just so personal. Is she a writer? 
Uh, I'd say she is based on – oh, she's a director. It sort of um, – it ends with her – she she knows that the relationship's going to fall apart, but she has to direct him in a film, and so she talks about how painful it is having oh, to be God. working with him and doing this stuff with him when actually their relationship's just completely falling apart. Wow. Um, so yeah, but it, it's just it's so raw and personal. That was the thing that I I felt like. I mean, if I were Ben Mendelsohn, I would be just enraged. Well, you. Well, you would have had no control over the situation, which I guess if you were interested in controlling what people know about you, you would find that quite upsetting, I imagine. <laughs> I mean, look, it's one thing to be, you know, um, you know, say you're married to Helen Garner, at some point you're going to break up and Garner's going to just unload. <laughs> Garner's just going to mention you in passing in all of her books about <laughs> cases, just going to be about, you know, there'll be, well, you can trace, I imagine, scraps of your own life that keep turning up like compost you know in the life of if you're married to, to a writer, or married oh, to yeah, a writer sure. right? like, because yeah. even if with novels I mean um but wouldn't that, you, would, although all those Rachel Cusk books you yeah know, including the one that she wrote yeah. about um Aftermath which is about the breakdown of her marriage which is just unbelievably but I guess if you're not naming the person you've you've got um, the yeah. fig leaf of um, well, it's, oh, it's fiction. You know, I've yeah. drawn a little bit on my life, but it's mostly and also fiction. like once you put all that to down on paper, and I don't even know where this article appeared, but like I tell you what, if I was writing for New Idea, I'd be extracting that pretty shortly. You know, <laughs> my breakdown hell with TV's Ben. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. All that sort of the the fly on the wall type stuff is is fascinating. I mean, I guess it's not really new terrain, like the ethics of mining the lives of people around you. But just in this particular case, um, I'm sure it probably got a lot of clicks because it was about somebody oh, famous. 100%. Yeah. So, yep, in fact, um, I'm going to go read it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've also read another book I'm really keen to read, which has just come out, which is lying on the floor next to my bed upstairs, Nikki Savage's new book. Oh, well, yeah. So, wow, I was fortunate enough to have to read Nikki's book at speed for work. And, geez, it's a good book. I mean, it really um, – it told me heaps of stuff I didn't already know, which is – I just sometimes happens with political books and you do have these rashes of books that um, purport to cover a particular political event and because now we have just, just what seems like an incessant supply of um, knifings of prime ministers, there's just <laughs> – stupid amounts of material to work with. But um, the thing that – look, Nikki is pretty gutsy, you know. She will jump in there um, and she's put a huge amount of work into eking out, you know, her version of the events that happened in last August when um, Malcolm Turnbull was rolled in the week of madness. And the thing that I really like about the way she's done it is that she really – um, she goes pretty deep into the personal experience of people involved. So, and I guess because we're so used to political violence in this way, you don't often, you just assume they're all used to it. And there is this quite visceral sense in her account of just how traumatic it was for people on both sides of the fence, actually. And I found that, I found it really, yeah, she, she, um, She's told the story in an incredibly compelling way. Mm. Is Nobody tra- comes out of it looking very good, I've got to say. Is traumatic too strong a word or do you reckon it's the right word? 
Um, no, I think in some cases it was the right word. I mean, like, um, I don't know, like lots of people betrayed their friends mm. and I think because we expect politicians to be fickle, then you kind of assume that they just – it doesn't cost them anything to screw over their, um, you know, friends. I don't know. People, I guess political friends are different from um, – proper friends i suppose in some ways i mean in the end yeah um, yeah lots of friendships have been broken in politics um and i guess if you had a political friendship that in which both friends would be prepared to do absolutely anything to protect that friend then that's not great for politics i mm. mean friendships shouldn't overwhelm a sense of duty or obligation or a sense of um propriety i think there's not many other um occupations like they would you know presumably there wouldn't be a time where say my colleagues you know led by you would have to come in and go hey salesy we really think you've had your day hosting 7 30 and it's time for you see your absolute security <laughs> in that sense is my secret weapon <laughs> like it must be you know, sales, you've lost the confidence of the newsroom. Yeah, imagine, like, it must be such a weird thing where, you, you know, people that you've been working with and whatnot come in and go, listen, um, time's up. Yeah. We want some, we don't want you anymore. Right. It's so, like, like in Muriel's wedding, think, oh, we don't God. want you hanging around with us anymore, Muriel. Our politicians, they're all dreadful. But also, like, you kind of, I don't know, I'm a bit, I think, I think, it it becomes human beings to have friends, but I also think I'm suspicious of politicians whose friendships are so deep that they would do absolutely anything for that friend. Like I think that that's not healthy for politics. If people put their private friendships above even propriety, public propriety, then that's a problem. Can you think of many examples of that? No, not really. No, I can't um, really. No, remember. I can't. They're always absolutely screwing each other over. Yeah, so, well, you see, there's I mean, always tales of so-and-so with so-and-so's um, best man. I just want to say I'm not thinking of Greg Hunt and Josh Frydenberg. I'm thinking of a different um, example. Just I say that because the Frydenberg-Hunt one was in the news the other day. Just, you know, ones where so-and-so's been so-and-so's best man and then they oh, have a falling God. out. Yeah, and, you know. the, yeah the place hmm. is full of them. I mean, God, um, you know, Chris Mitchell from The Australian was the um, – uh, was, well, Kevin Rudd was his – Kid's godparent. Yikes. That didn't last. <laughs> um, but, yeah, anyway, look, it's it's just – it's a really good book. It's really gripping and um, I thought that I didn't want to know anything more about that crazy week but actually it was um, a really interesting read. Well, it was going to be next cab off my rank except that Callum – Hot Callum, mm. Sea Dog. Um, he's been working on a book about sharks. What? Sharks, a history really? of fear. Yeah. Um, and he's emailed me the he's... manuscript. So now it's displaced Nikki Sava to number three position. And, wow, um, sharks. Yeah. A history so of fear. I keep teasing God, him all the brilliant. time and pretending no that it's about spiders. He was... Yeah, he's wow. obsessed by sharks. So every time I wake up in the morning, has he ever been, been a... killed by one? He's gone swimming. <laughs> He's gone swimming with them. Every time I wake up in the morning, if there's any sort of been a shark incident in the news, I'm anywhere in the world, I'm like, see, dog, there's a shark attack. Quick, get onto it. It's going to be good for your book. What about that guy that got gummed the other day in uh, yeah, text in the Sea Dog about 7.30am yeah, to say get onto yep, it, get, get straight up it. there. Yep. <laughs> right. Strap some steaks onto your legs. And 
Yeah, this will make an excellent final like, chapter for your book. Exactly. I mean, that's the only way that your preparation for such a work. Can it's got really to build be. to that, doesn't it? I mean, I'm going to yeah. be disappointed if I if get to the final chapter. It's not by the end of the uh, yeah, draft. It's going to be very I'm bored. I'm bored already. <laughs> right. We're out of time. Oh, geez. Hang on a minute. You yeah. totally. Hey. God, you suck. You know that there's things that I want to talk about. I know, Listen, but I think one, we need to put them all into a new episode. Okay, but wait, 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 wait. wait, wait, yeah. wait. There's one more thing. Yes. Um, we've directed listeners, given our own ineptitude, to a uh, to a, a you know a, a, an exchange we had with others that was recorded by professionals, <laughs> and that's on the Sydney Writers Festival oh, yeah. website. But there is one other podcast that's gone up on that website that I really. I really want you to listen to and that is the – I think it is the best session I've ever been to at a writer's festival. So is, suck is on, it on that, there right Lee now? Sales. Yeah, it's on there right okay. now. Um, and it's I'm the session it uh, featuring Max Porter who wrote the book Lanny that I've talked about here before. It is this sort of magical, um, funny, entrancing, slightly traumatic um, – but please continue even when it gets traumatic because it's worth it. Um, book, it's kind of in a prose style, poetry, prosy sort of style, which normally I don't love, but it is so funny and so charming and so delicate and so compelling that I just absolutely hoovered it up. And Max Porter, the man himself, is just an absolutely delightful interviewee and he's interviewed by Michael Williams, who is a great, great foil for him. And it is just such – he's a brilliant mind and you just get to see his mind perform. He's a great mimic. He does readings from his own book and then he talks about the experience of being a writer and being a father and it is just absolutely I, charming. I can't find it on the thing. There's a, there's just the lecture that Max Porter did, not the um, – Bullshit. <laughs> well, I'm told um, that it's gone. Oh, hang on. No, sorry. Sorry. It's there. It's there. Sorry. My bad. It's, God, it's 3rd of July. Max, me, Max Porter Lanny. <laughs> sorry. I'm just going to – oh, no, I've got that downloaded already. It's you already impossible ass. Can I tell you something? Admit you're wrong. I am wrong and it's there. Can I tell you something? Mm? You lent me Lanny. I got about 50 pages in. Can't read it. Couldn't do it. Don't like it. Don't like it. It's okay, but I just <gasps> lost interest. It was like it's just – can I have it back so I can give it to a proper friend? Is is one of the characters a tree or something? Or like it's just oh, – I've just cracked my teacup back into its saucer, <laughs> let the record show. It's just – yeah, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind for it, but it didn't it certainly didn't hook me. I am not giving you my book of poetry. Listeners, this is the final the episode of Chapter 3. <laughs> I am going to listen to the but podcast, definitely. He's hilarious and he's so funny and adorable Look, and, and my, charming. Maybe it'll give me the sort of gateway into his voice and then I'll be able to get into the book. So, um, yeah. Oh, well, just, yeah, yeah, do him a favour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the guy's doing okay without your patronage, you <laughs> wretch. Definitely the final chat 10. <laughs> <laughs>